morning, everybody. Reading from Acts 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you, Chris. You've got to love that uh, verse 15. Isn't it uh, pretty fun? I don't know if you've ever reflected on it, if you've read this one, but Peter goes and he says, um, come on, guys, it's only nine in the morning. As if he's saying, you know, it would be understandable if it was three in the afternoon, maybe, but uh, it's nine in the morning. That's why we're not drunk. And uh, he carries on and explains this most remarkable experience that is happening. And uh, what's happening is this thing called Pentecost. I think of a few words that have described some of my encounters with the Holy Spirit. Calmness. Oh, a sense of calm and peace. Contentment. When last did you feel a deep sense of contentment in the skin in which you live? Creativity. A sense of, of, of possibility as your, your mind and your heart and your skills and your giftings come together and you, you're filled with creativity. Or a clear mind. Clarity around what actually matters. How many in the world are walking around with this, this blurriness, not honestly sure of what is most important in the world. Just kind of moving from one experience, one event, one thing to the next. 
conviction, a deep conviction that what you're doing with your life is the most important thing to do. Delighted to, to, to courageously move forward because you are filled with courage and clarity and conviction and creativity to pull it off. Pentecost is one of these most amazing moments where the Spirit of God comes upon a people and suddenly all these things begin to spark in them. Contentment, calmness, creativity, a clarity of mind, a, a deep courage, deep conviction, real creativity. Now, I don't know about you, what comes to mind when you hear the term the Holy Spirit and when you hear Pentecost, there must be a number of things that begin to spark in your head. When I asked our kids, I said, guys, Holy Spirit, what do you think? And the first thing was this, ooh, from one of our kids. Hey, some of you maybe think that, Holy Spirit, or, and, and you go, well, I, I know, you know, Holy Spirit, I've heard other people say Holy Ghost, and so your, your mind is already going to this slightly spooky, slightly out of control sort of stuff. You know, maybe it's that strange friend you knew at school, You're like, oh, I hope they don't invite me to their church, that kind of person, or, or it's a force, or it's a, it's a kind of propulsion, or you're going, is it a flotation device maybe? You know, I don't know what your thinking is, but, but as, a, as a pastor speaking about the Holy Spirit, it's one of those ones where there are so many different perceptions and, and questions that pop up into different people's minds depending on where they've come from and, and what their experience is. And I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what your experience is. Maybe it's a conservative church. You, you speak about the Holy Spirit twice a year and you keep it pretty simple and you move on. Maybe others have come from very charismatic churches where it's what's spoken about all the time. Holy Spirit is the, it comes off everybody's tongue all the time. Maybe you're new to church and you're kind of going, this sounds like the talk that would probably go in the mind, body, soul section at exclusive books, you know? And uh, you put it in that category, go, well, I'm open to seeing what this is all about. Well, in some ways, the Spirit of God is a, is a really complex topic, but it's also a very beautiful and important topic because it really is, is God's expression of himself in the unseen of, of life. God comes and pours himself out on these believers, and he starts something so important for the church. And so I want to today try my best to ask a whole bunch of questions of this text that we've just been reading, and then we will hopefully by the end have a sense of calm, a sense of contentment in this text, and a sense of our own conviction that God wants to do something, that in fact... God loves to and wants to pour out a spirit on us and that we would be the kind of people who walk in God's spirit and walk in his presence. And so firstly, I want to ask the question, what's happening here? What's happening? What's going on? Well, what you've got here is you've got a group of people who have witnessed the resurrected Jesus. It seems like about 120 people who are sitting in a room, and they have seen the resurrected Jesus. We saw last week that Jesus says to these guys, hey, don't go anywhere. Yes, I've risen from the dead. Yes, I've ascended. I'm going up. You just need to wait because you'll get some power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He's the promise of the Father. He's going to come upon you, and then you're going to have power to be my witnesses into the world. You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So whatever comes to them is going to be powerful to empower them to go and do stuff that they previously weren't really excited to do and didn't know how they would do. So there was something coming, but they had no real conception of what it was that was coming. And we know in hindsight, we go, we've just read it. There was tongues of fire and uh, a wind that came through. 
and it was an experience that was real and it was powerful. Can you imagine if you're a believer and this guy, you know, who's shown himself to be the Messiah says, the Spirit's going to come upon you. What, what would they have imagined um, was going to happen? In hindsight, we know what happened. They're sitting in a room. That's what, this wind comes through. And then what seems like tongues of fire falls upon them. And Michael Eaton reminds us, he says, hey, there is so much that we can expect that should continuously happen from the day of Pentecost onwards. Hey, but there's a lot of things in that that we probably shouldn't expect to continuously happen. It, it's unlikely that tongues of fire will fall down every time we gather together. It's unlikely necessarily that a, a wind will blow through, but it's very likely that followers of Christ who've seen the resurrected Jesus by the, by the Spirit will be filled with the Spirit ongoingly. And so there's things we, we can expect to continuously happen. But before we get there, I just want to mention three kind of big themes that are all coming together. You see, we've, uh, this is you know, after the writings of the Gospels, and it's after the whole of the, the Jewish uh, Old Testament. And there were so many expectations. And what's happening here is three big themes in a Jewish mind are all being pulled together. There were so many things going on in the Jewish world, and they were expecting this Messiah to come. And firstly, one of the big themes that's coming together here is that God is bringing together this new covenant. You see, the day of Pentecost was the day, 50 days after Passover, where the people would celebrate that God had given them the law. Moses went up a mountain, he received the law, and the people would always remember this day called Pentecost where God gave them the law, and they tied in the celebration of the harvest at the same time, but it was this amazing moment where they looked and went, God, you gave us your law, you gave us the way to live, you wrote it on tablets, and so they would remember this amazing moment. It's really significant that 50 days after Jesus defeats sin and Satan and death on the cross, much like God defeated Pharaoh, 50 days later, they received the covenant. Now, 50 days later, they receive the Holy Spirit. Instead of having the, the law written on tablets of stone, the scriptures say that they would have the law written on their hearts. 50 days later, they're given a new covenant where God begins to empower people by his spirit in, his heart, in their hearts. That's the first big theme of Pentecost that, that in a Jewish mind is coming together. The second big theme is the fulfilling of the prophetic expectation that the Spirit would fall down when the kingdom of God comes. Remember Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates of the kingdom, but wait, you will receive power. The kingdom of God is coming and you're going to get the Holy Spirit and that's going to be the, the experience of the kingdom coming. You see, the Old Testament prophets had many pictures of, of God speaking to them, of when this Messiah comes, there would be fire that came down. There was one who would be greater than Moses who would come. How did Moses hear God? He heard him through a burning bush. Daniel had prophetic pictures of this Messiah, and there was flames all around. There was the sense that when fire came down, the Messiah had arrived. The new age of the Spirit of God had come, the kingdom of God had arrived. And so when these tongues of fire were coming upon these believers, there was a, a sense in the Jewish mind, oh, wow, the messianic promise has arrived. God, the, the age of the kingdom has arrived. God is here in power. It takes you back to the prophets of Baal when Elijah is having this big argument and God wins the battle by bringing fire from heaven and burns up those uh, amazing um, sacrifices, even though they were covered in water. There's a sense that God is the victor and the Spirit of God has come. 
This is an amazing moment of fulfillment, of prophetic expectation in the people of Israel. And then there's another big one, is that God is bringing unity back to humanity. You see, what you noticed in verse 6, I don't know if you picked that up, and Chris did an amazing job. I wanted to hug him while he was reading. I mean, the way he pronounced all those amazing names, there were people from different uh, nationalities who are all hearing their language being spoken. The wonders of God are being spoken to them in their own language. When last in the Bible do you read about multiple languages that is causing something interesting to happen? Well, you've got to fly all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 and the story of Babel. And in the story of Babel, it's quite the opposite. Humanity are, are bandying together in one voice with one language to try to become God in themselves. And God divides them by giving them different languages. Now, amazingly, at Pentecost, God is helping them to understand each other under Christ once more. There's a unity that's coming to people under Christ because he is building a new humanity. Unity is being restored to the world under the love of God. That's a remarkable tying together. And so you've got these, these mega themes that are coming together in this moment called Pentecost. God is undoing Babel, and he is restarting a new united humanity. Hey, Jesus speaks so much about unity. He loves people who walk together in unity. And so when the Spirit's at work in the life of a community, you should expect unity. You should expect a sense of deferring mutuality of love and sacrifice, a, a willingness to, to prefer others over ourselves. The whole of the New Testament speaks so much about that. As you walk in step with the Spirit, we, we love with a deep sense of unity and honor. So there's lots going on, right? The, the Pentecost moment is a huge moment. Now, one of the thoughts I had to try to describe Pentecost, because it's quite difficult to explain. And you've got Jesus who comes in the flesh, and when Jesus comes in the flesh, he says, in me, the kingdom of God has arrived. He says, Jesus often would walk around and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, I am an embodiment of what the kingdom of God is like. But then he says, you know what, it's better that I go, because when I go, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening in Pentecost. I think it's a little bit like this. I don't know if you remember the story of those, that, that football team who got stuck in that cave in Thailand uh, about five years ago, 2018. Remember that story? Some of you do. It was all over the news. It was a, a, a remarkable story where these uh, 11 boys, a football team, had gone wandering through these caves in Thailand uh, along with their uh, sort of coach. He wasn't their main coach. He was their sort of uh, 2IC coach. And they go walking through these caves in Thailand, and a massive monsoon hits and suddenly fills up all the tunnels in the cave. And these boys are stuck in this cave four kilometers from the exit, and there is just water throughout. There's just no way out. And they're living on a ledge on a shelf in this cave. I'm claustrophobic, so I'm not going to speak for too long about this. But they're stuck in this cave. And there is literally no way out. They think about drilling through the mountain. They think about all kinds of things. Elon Musk even comes up with an idea to send submarines that could bring them out. Eventually, they think there is no other way than to send some divers. And eventually, they do send uh, some divers. The first diver to arrive there is a guy named John Volonthan. And he pitches up into this uh, cave. Can you imagine the feeling those boys would have felt when somebody pops out of the water 
and suddenly is right in front of them. And he says to them, I'm here. I'm here to, to help you. I'm, I'm here to give you life. Literally, they must have thought, how long can we survive here? They probably would have began to become aware that there is a limited amount of oxygen available to them in this cave. And this guy comes in, he says, I, I want to help you. I'm going I'm to keep you guys alive. Maybe that's a bit like Jesus incarnating into the world. He comes as one man and he, and he says, here, I, I, I want to help you have life. But John Volanthan, along with a whole bunch of others, then swim their way back and begin to bring supplies forward. They begin to bring supplies forward because what's happening is that there is a world out there that those kids are made to live in. Much like you and I are made to live in the kingdom. The, the Bible describes this age to come, the, the, the heavenly age to come that, that's made for us. We're meant to live in it. And they start bringing supplies. But Jesus also said, he says, I'm not enough. You need the spirit. One day John and his team arrive and they say, here we go. We're going to help you get to that age. We're going to help you get out of this thing. And here's how we're going to do it. And they're going to put these masks on them. And these masks are going to give them a breath of life. There is so much oxygen like that on the other side. They know it, but they're called to get there. And they're going to swim four kilometers through these dark caves to eventually get to the other side. And that's exactly what happens. They put these masks on them. They strap tanks on them. And it's a very complex, if you watch the movie, there's more details that I'm not going to tell you now. But they get them to the other side. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come. And when Pentecost arrives, it's like that oxygen mask that is filled with air from the age to come gets put on them and they breathe it in and they begin to walk the journey towards the other side. Hey, when you put your faith in Christ, the Bible teaches that the Spirit comes and lives inside of you, but, but that actually we begin to walk in step with the Spirit. We begin to learn how to breathe the air of the kingdom of God. We begin to learn how to breathe in God's air and to walk in step with Him because there is an age coming where that's all the air we'll ever breathe. Right now, we're in a bit of a cave. <laughs> right now, we've got mixed signals. Sometimes it's a bit smelly. We're, we're kind of, it's, it's not perfect. The world is complicated. There's still the evil that lives in our lives and there's still the evil that's inside of us. There's the evil around us. It's complicated and it often feels like a claustrophobic cave and we're going, how do I ever get out of this difficult world in which I live? Pentecost was the moment that says, here, the age to come, the guarantee of your future is coming into the present, and you can breathe in that life, and you will live off of the scent of heaven, and you will live empowered by the sustenance and the nutrients of the world for which you are made. Pentecost was the moment of God giving us the presence in which we will always live. The word for the Holy Spirit, for that matter, is the word ruach. What a nice word to say. You almost deserve it to actually say it. So I'll let you do it. Say the word ruach. ruach. Oh, that felt good, didn't it? <laughs> ruach is the word for spirit. It's actually the word that, that the Hebrews use for air or breath as well. It's, it's the breath. That's why where it's a lovely analogy that when they come through and they get these oxygen tanks, they get the breath of heaven that's breathed into them. And then what happens is that Jesus says, when you've got that breath, you've got the breath of heaven, you'll become witnesses. And I think the witness experience, as you read through the New Testament, has two major effects. When the Spirit of God is in you, firstly, there's a witness with your own spirit that you're a child of God. 
That's what Romans 8 and Romans chapter 5 says that when the Spirit of God comes into you, there's a sense that deep down inside of you, it doesn't matter how you feel or where you've identified yourself as, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you feel a deep awareness that you are a child of God. You can witness in the depths of your soul that you can say, Abba, Father, says the Scriptures. Our spirit testifies with God's Spirit that we are children of God. Transcends the darkest valleys of your life. It keeps you humble in the heights because you know that at, 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 your, at your peak in this world, actually, you're a child of God. There's nothing anyone can flatter you with. There's no amount of money that could be more precious than knowing in the depths of my soul, I'm a child. I'm a child of God. And so there's this amazing inner witness that we are loved and that we are His. But Jesus says also, no, when you get this power, you're not just going to have an inner witness that you are loved and that you're cared for, but also you've got a a desire to, to live an outer witness, that this world needs what you've just got, that you've seen the resurrected Jesus and that he's poured his ruach into you, and there is an age to come that is just pure oxygen of heaven, and you're going, you need this. You need to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that heaven and earth's true king has come in the form of Jesus. He died the death you and I should have died. He did it on our behalf so that we could be freed from our guilt, freed from our shame, so that we could be restored back into relationship with him. So that all that annoying guilt, that annoying shame that just niggles with the fact that I just am not enough, I haven't done enough, could have been enough. The spirit comes and he testifies. And he empowers us to really believe it, to really know it. And then out of that, to really witness to a world that really needs it. So the question I next want to ask is, well, who's in that room? Which amazingly privileged human beings are so crazy special that they get to be in that room, in this place, uh, when Pentecost event happens? Well, let's look at who's in the room. We've got a lot of evidence of of who's in the room. Firstly, you've got some really angry and unpredictable people. Just a couple of days ago, Peter, and I'll spend a lot of time talking about Peter, but, but Peter was chopping off a soldier's ear because he wasn't happy with the way he was treating his buddy. Seriously, he pulled out a sword and he chopped off his ear. So we've got guys with anger management issues in that room. Unpredictable. You never know when he's gonna pull the sword out. So if you're unpredictable, a little bit anger management issues, you're in good company here. Seems like God pours out a spirit on the angry and the unpredictable. You've also got some betrayers there. Little girl with pigtails walks up to Peter. Hey, you're his friend, aren't you? You know Jesus? Just 53 days earlier, big, strong fisherman Peter who just pulled out a sword and chopped off a soldier's ear looks at a little girl with pigtails and goes, I don't know what you're talking about, girl. Denies that he even knows Jesus. He's a coward. He's a betrayer. He's a denier. We've also got the betrayed. How many of those disciples had given trust their, of their life to a guy like Judas? They'd walked three years with their buddy, whom they loved. And here they are in the, in the throes of, of kind of thinking the kingdom of God is going to come. And here goes Judas and betrays them in the middle of the deepest, darkest moment of their life. 
This was what they were living for. This is what they had waited for. It was the pinnacle of Jewish history. And them, 12, were going to be the ones who changed the world. And there goes Judas. Hands over their buddy for death for a couple of coins. Those who've been betrayed are sitting in the room. For that matter, they're the traumatized. Can you imagine watching your own best friend and leader crucified gruesomely on a cross? Have you been through trauma? Have you been betrayed? Have you betrayed some people? I think we probably all have. Those are the kind of guys in this room. The uncertain, the doubting Thomases. Thomas was in the room. The guy who, when he sees the resurrected Jesus, says, show me, I don't believe it. He's got questions. He folds his arms. He goes, I just don't know if I can trust this stuff. Some of us in the room saying, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I trust this stuff. Seems like God poured out his spirit on the doubter, the uncertain, the tenderized and the terrified. Peter had recently just been on the beach with the very Jesus he had denied to little girls with pigtails. And he's feeling like a coward and a fool. And the resurrected Jesus walks up to him. And I imagine he couldn't make eye contact with Jesus. He would have looked every way he could, but not into the eyes of Christ. And Jesus looks into his eyes. And he breathes his love and he warmly embraces him. And he recommissions him and he tells him that he's got a beautiful future. And that he's called to be part of the, the kingdom of God and to, to take things forward. And I imagine it must have taken Peter a long time on that beach to begin to believe that Jesus really was restoring him. He would have been deeply tenderized, probably regularly going, did he really say that? Does he know how I denied him? Does he know how I betrayed him? There are also the terrified. Do you know why they were in that room? It says for fear of the Jews. They regularly would go into other places because they knew that to testify to Jesus' resurrection was a risky thing. Any attachment to the guy that was crucified is going to get them probably in a little bit of trouble. So they're a little nervous. They're tenderized. They're terrified. They're uncertain. They're betrayers. They, they've been betrayed. They're angry. They're unpredictable. They're cautiously excited. Hey, some of us in the room, you're cautiously excited. You, you, you can see some cool stuff going on. You're excited about what might happen. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. He had told them to wait. Some of us feel all of these things, by the way. I feel like I'm a betrayer. I've betrayed. I'm tenderized. I'm terrified. I'm cautious. I'm excited. Often all at the same time. That's who's in the room. I hope you're feeling like you're in fairly good company. Those nervous of what's next. The control freaks. Is load shedding ever going to end? Is this economy going to fix itself? Will the rand ever bounce back? Can I be in control? Will you restore the kingdom, God? That's what's going on in their hearts. They are so profoundly human. Ex-fishermen, ex-tax collectors, ex-prostitutes, the extremely poor, some who seem rather rich, the uneducated, the underwhelming. This is who you've got in this group of people that make up the 120. So who does God fill? Who does he fill with his Holy Spirit? Verse four says, everyone. All of them, every single one of them, 
God is no respecter of class. He's no respecter of gender. He's not waiting for some people to impress him. He is already over that journey of trying to find human beings who will impress him. No one's done it except one, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death in our stead that we should have died. And that is why he is glad, joyful to pour out his spirit on everyone. So those who are filled, what do they have in common? What's the stuff that makes them particularly filled with, with the Spirit of God? Well, I think the first thing that they've got in common is a need for God's grace. A need for God's grace. You do not receive God's Spirit because you're impressive, because you've done the right stuff, because you've been going to church lots. This is a Spirit of God that is poured out by sheer kindness and grace. It is by grace that you are saved. In fact, Paul gets so cross with the Galatians who begin to think that God has poured out his spirit because of the stuff that they've been doing, that he looks at them and he writes to them and he uses this word, bewitched. He says, who's bewitched you? Who has put a curse on you to think that you could be filled with the spirit based on some moral performance of your life? It is evil to think of that. The only reason God pours his spirit on you is because he is a gracious God and he loves to do it because he sacrificed in your stead. Jesus took your sin upon himself and he traded his righteousness and gave it to you. And now you are righteous in his sight because of grace and grace alone. If you want God's spirit, you don't come to him to say, here I am, look at what I've done. Look at the school I went to. Look at how kind I've been lately. I haven't said anything nasty for at least 25 minutes. And so I do Deserve your spirit, God. He doesn't respect it. He gives a spirit by sheer grace. Luke chapter 11 says, uh, Jesus tells the story of, of how God would pour out the spirit. And he tells the story, he says, if, you know, if a child comes to a dad and says, hey, dad, can I have an egg? And the, the dad goes, yeah, no, here, has a scorpion. He goes, no, no father will ever do that. He says, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's not, a, he's not an unkind father. He loves to, to give us his spirit. And so he gives his spirit by grace. He gives his spirit to those who, who patiently sit with expectant trust. It seems like these 120 people, they, they did know one thing, that Jesus had said, wait, you'll receive power. So they're expectantly waiting in a kind of trustful posture. In a kind of trustful posture, they're going, we, we don't know exactly what's next, but Jesus has said something will happen. And so we will lean towards his promises, albeit we don't know exactly what he will do. And that's my experience of walking in the Spirit, by the way. It's, it's not knowing exactly what he's gonna do and how he's gonna do it and when he's gonna do it. There is no formula. If you hear people giving you a formula for how to you know, enlist the Holy Spirit's work, you're in dangerous ground. Hey, the, the Spirit comes upon the, the, the humble. It comes upon those whom He chooses. It comes upon everyone who trusts in Christ. Hey, it does seem like there's a gathering and a prayerfulness together. And, and so that is something they do have in common, is that they're together and they're prayerful. My experience often is that the Spirit comes upon people who gather together in prayer and seem to want to worship Jesus. Witness to each other of the goodness of God. Hey, we were just in a prayer meeting. By the way, we pray every single Sunday at 10 to 9 without fail, except maybe uh, once a year on Christmas morning because we want you to uh, take one break. But even then, we probably will still be here praying. 
nonetheless, we gather at 10 to 9 and we pray. And honestly, some of the most profound moments of experiencing God's Spirit and experiencing some of the words and the wisdom of God to each other um, are in those moments. So what do they have in common? The need for grace and expectant trust, the kind of prayerfulness about them. So maybe another question you might ask is, well, how often should believers be filled with the Spirit? We can see that it happens at least once in, in the believer's lives, but, but should we expect to be filled more than once? Well, I would answer the question by saying, yes. <laughs> we should expect to be filled with the Spirit more than once. Let me read a sampling of texts that you will see. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he says, Rulers and elders of the people, and he keeps speaking. Peter has already been filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and in fact, again in Acts chapter 3, I think it is. In Acts 4 again, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. This is a similar group of people who are filled with the Spirit again. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Notice Full of the Spirit. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Paul. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. But Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. You guys read the next one with me. Acts chapter 13, verse 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Last one, Acts 19, verse 5 and 6. When they heard the gospel, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he had laid his hands on them, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That's another sermon for another day, tongues and prophecy. But for now, safe to say that the believers seem to be filled with the Spirit ongoingly. It's an ongoing experience. What we believe uh, from the Scriptures as a church, and this is really an important thing, because some people go, well, what do we believe about the infilling of the Spirit? We believe that uh, God uh, comes and dwells in us by His Spirit when He saves us by His grace. Every person, you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and He will indwell you. He will live with you the moment you put your faith in Christ, it's the seal of the Spirit. It's like a renewing work. It's the guarantee of the future age to come. We are to expect His Holy Spirit to notably fill us in a way that's uh, often even memorable. This doesn't simply mean a physical manifestation, but may well be noticeable by a spiritual or relational effect that may uh, happen as we're filled. Believers can and should anticipate God's infillings subsequent to their salvation over the days and years that ensue. You are filled by the Spirit. You're indwelt by Him. He comes and He lives in the house of your life. But you should expect Him to enter in more and more, ongoingly, as life happens. So is it a one-off kind of event? The answer is no. Andrew Wilson's been really helpful to me in answering this question of, you know, should it just happen once? He says this, if we think of Paul's instruction to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, not just as water that fills a glass, but as wind that fills the sails, then we can understand why it needs to be continuous as an experience. Make sense? You know, sometimes you think, oh, be filled with the Spirit, or fill up the cup. Well, the cup's full. 
But that's not exactly what is being spoken of. Remember, the Spirit of God is breath. Uh, my dad and I uh, once went sailing when we were kids. When I was a kid, he wasn't a kid. Um, but we were terrible at sailing. We, we got pushed over twice, and we had to get someone to come help us. Eventually, we got dragged home. Because one of the things we didn't know how to do was to harness the sails and to catch the wind. But really, I think if you could think of your life either as a boat, a sailboat, what would, or, or maybe as a saxophone or a wind instrument, that would probably be more like what it means to live the life of, in the Spirit. What you need is, is the ability to harness the wind. Because sometimes we ask the question, you know, is this, is this something that happens to me or is it something that I should be doing? And the answer I would suggest is yes, it is. It's something that happens to you, but it is something that you do. It's a kind of passive verb. It's I'm waiting, but I am leaning in. I'm putting up the sails, but I can't make the wind blow. And what I do as a follower of Christ is I put up the sails of my life that God's wind might blow into them. I had this picture, and it's a little bit of a mixed metaphor, but the picture I had was of uh, us as parents when, when we kind of had little toddlers who just learned to walk, but you're still kind of going with the purity. Um, you know, you're spooning out the purity out of those little jars, and uh, your kids are able to walk, and, so, uh, and also maybe haven't perfected the high chair with the belt to hold them still. And so you're chasing your kids around, trying to get food in their mouth. And uh, I've done this lots of my life, you know. As they come past, you're like, oh, take one, chop, and then they run past, and they come back, you're like, oh, take another one. And uh, sometimes, I honestly think in our generation, that's exactly what followers of Jesus are like. God so badly wants to fill the sails of our lives with the wind of His Spirit, with the breath of God. But we're so busy, and he's kind of trying to fill us up, but we're just going around doing so much, and so distracted, and so kind of preoccupied with other stuff that we simply can't let him do what he wants to do. Hey, what if we went at a sacred pace, to quote Paul's book that he's reading at the moment? What if we went at the pace that God could actually fill us? What if we, we slowed down enough to let the Spirit of God fill us? What if we put up the sails of our lives a little more effectively that we might be able to be filled? What I am saying here is that if you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you have never in your life experienced what some describe as the baptism of the Spirit, kind of a first moment where you, you've trusted Christ, but it says in a number of passages and Acts that some people believed in Jesus, but then the apostles went a few days later and laid their hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit. It's possible, according to the Scriptures, that you can be a believer in Christ and have the Spirit indwelling you but maybe not have an, had an experience of the beautiful presence of God that fills you, that suddenly you're, you're an overflowing, you're, the sail is bulging, and there's a sense now that internally you have witnessed the love of Christ, and externally you've got a fresh courage to witness to the resurrected Jesus around you. If you're living in fear and, and lack of conviction and, and kind of uncertainty, that may be that God wants to freshly fill you with the Spirit. Maybe you've never had that experience. You don't need to necessarily have someone pray for you, lay hands on you. I was in my room on my knees, probably a, day, a couple of days, maybe a week or two after I put my faith in Jesus. I was living in, in town, and I got on my knees, and I opened up my Bible. 
I remember just not being able to read. I just get so filled with a sense of God's amazing presence. And I just don't want to be anywhere else. Just a sense, where else would I want to be right now than just with God? Can I explain it? Can you justify it? Uh, do you have some scientific kind of thing that you think may have been happening? You can't question the fact that I genuinely believe that God's spirit filled me. A guy who was self-preoccupied, a guy who was terrified of other people, began to move out from loving self and learning to love other people. Only a miraculous God who would give his spirit would change a guy so selfish as me, so scared of people. Only by his spirit. And really, that's what's going on with Peter. Peter's scared of girls with pigtails. And 45, 50 days later, he's standing up in front of a big crowd saying, hey, by the way, it's you guys. It's your sin that put him on the cross. Where did he, he, he went to bed like a, a, a little lamb and he woke up roaring like a lion. Where did that come from? The spirit of God comes freshly upon a person. Scriptures, Luke, is, as he uh, pushes us through this journey, he's trying to say, you, should, you too should expect to be filled with the Spirit that brings a deep sense of love and a deep sense of confidence into your soul. How do you approach this journey of walking with the Spirit? Well, I would say, bring your expectant honesty to God. That kind of humility that says, you know what, I don't necessarily have it all together, God. In fact, that's the point. I realize that it's by your grace that you would only ever do this. I'm like a kid coming to a father and I'm saying, actually, please don't give me a scorpion. Give me an egg. Don't, don't give me what I'm not asking. I just, I need your spirit. I'm humbly saying I don't have it all together. I've got some anger issues. I, I, I sometimes have betrayed people. I, I sometimes feel betrayed. I've been traumatized. But I, but I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you died for my sins. And, and really all I'm doing is I'm coming with honest expectation that maybe you would fill me with your spirit. Hey, that's the best way to do it. Firstly, expectant honesty, then, then prayerful waiting. I've been reading some amazing books of late and, and amazing experiences with people who've experienced God's presence, His power, sometimes even it's His healing. Some stories of, of, of watching people uh, physically get healed, and you think like, why, God, don't you just heal people after the first prayer? You know, like, a minute or two. God, help this person. They say, you hear stories, people praying for an hour, and then after an hour of prayer, suddenly, this person is healed, or something grows back, and you go, why? I don't know. Maybe God just loves to be with people. Maybe he just wants you to wait a little longer. You know, being filled with the Spirit, to be honest, I've been filled with the Spirit when the keys are playing nicely in the background. I have. I felt filled with the Spirit when, when the worship band are perfectly on key. And everything's perfect and the lights are dim and I'm feeling unselfconscious. But often, I've been filled with the Spirit as I'm kind of pulling up my wetsuit and it's not going as I hoped it would and I'm worried that people are... And suddenly I'm like, wow, God. It doesn't need to be these perfect environments. Sometimes you're in your car and you're feeling a little hot and you pull the wind down and the song comes on and suddenly you're just aware of God. And it's so sweet and so wonderful and you can't predict it. Sometimes you ask God, you say, God, fill me, and you like walk out of church sort of feeling a little like, oh, he didn't fill me. Sometimes he does, often he does. But then you get home. You're kind of just cutting the first slice of bread, and God's lovely, gentle presence comes on your soul, and you go, wow. It's, it's just a, it's an interesting thing. I, I wish I could predict how God works and how he does things, but it doesn't seem like he likes to be boxed. <laughs> 
doesn't seem like he likes to be told how to do it. There isn't a perfect key on the keyboard that makes it all happen. Sometimes it is just sweet when there's other believers. What we're going to do today is we're going to spend some time in worship. That's why we shortened worship, because we want to just take some time to sing some songs, to enjoy God. One of the things that I find most attracts the experience of the Spirit is simply when I enjoy God. <laughs> I simply just worship Him. I let my heart go. I, I worship Him. I sing songs to Him. I pray to Him. Some of my favorite times are in the morning when there's no one else in the house uh, or nobody's awake, and I find a quiet place, and I just sing and enjoy the presence of God. And just God's presence can gently and wonderfully begin to resuscitate me, give me a, a taste of the air that is part of the age to come, begins to fill my heart. And often when that happens, then sometimes he sparks the, the prophetic, the, the, the ability to, to be aware of what's going on in, in, the, in the future. Hey, sometimes even in our prayer meetings, we, we ask the Holy Spirit and then suddenly people are a little more aware of what God may want to do. Even in worship, a few people are going to share some senses of what God may want to do with us. Hey, listen carefully. Maybe God's got something he wants to encourage you with and, 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 and speak to you in. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we just, honestly, in a non-pressured way, I, I, God's spirit loves to be with us. We're not going to try to uh, work this up. If you ever find yourself going, ah, oh, the spirit is inviting you to go, oh. <laughs> to breathe out, not to breathe in, to not work harder, to work softer. To simply relax and to enjoy God. And, uh, and maybe in time as you're praying to say, come Holy Spirit, won't you fill me? Won't you continue to uh, empower me? He empowers us to strengthen us, to give us that breath of heavenly air that then gives us creativity, confidence, courage. Would you stand with me? If you sense maybe while we're worshiping, maybe God wanting to say something, not just to you, but for us, come chat to me and um, we'll try to discern what God may be saying or what he wants to say for us. But um, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, Lord Jesus, that in some ways it does feel like you found us in a cave. We got ourselves there. <laughs> But amazingly, in your love, you came in your son, Jesus. And you incarnated into our world. And then when you left, you said, don't worry, I'll send you help. I'll send you the breath of life. I'll send you the breath of heaven that will be a taste of the age to come. Lord, as we worship you, as we learn as a community to just make much of you, I do ask that your spirit, your presence would fill us. Pray that we'd be a people who pray that ancient prayer that has been prayed for thousands of years. Come Holy Spirit. And that we would pray that over and over. In the morning, at noon, at nighttime, that we those who need the sails of our lives to be filled with the wind of your spirit. To just even as I was praying now, I just had that sense of those who maybe have been through trauma.
just as I was speaking about friends who watched their friend die on a cross, I was filled with compassion for people who've been through trauma, major pain. You've seen things you wish you had never seen. You've experienced stuff you wish you had never experienced, but it's indelibly marked in your mind like you, you can't shut it out. And I think the Spirit wants to come and minister to you. He wants to kind of rewire your brain a little to love you through that. He's seen your trauma. He comes to the traumatized in amazing love. I also had a sense that he wants to maybe heal some people who've got blind eyes. At some stage, maybe in the meeting, maybe afterwards, I'd like to pray with people who are struggling with their sight, maybe got a diagnosis even recently. Jesus, as we come to worship you, we just come to enjoy your presence. You're a God at work. You're alive. We make much of your beautiful presence, your beautiful kindness. You are the resurrected one. And you pour out your spirit. And you ask, not that we are perfect, but that we come with expectation and humility and say, here we are. So Lord, here we are. Receive our worship. Receive our tender affection. Let's sing. <laughs>